0: Well good morning everyone. It's a privilege to come to you from our South Creek campus this morning and as we're into our third week of our series called Emotional. The first week we looked at the whole foundation that we have to admit that we're going to be ambushed by our emotions. It is going to happen. And then we saw last week that you need to name them. Once you name, I'm fearful, I'm hurt, I'm tired, I am mad, I am sad, I am glad. Whatever is going on inside of you, once you name it, then we can work with it. And that's what today is all about. And today is so important as we look at the third point, which is own it. To own it. To wrestle with it. You see, if you don't own your emotions, they will own you. You see, if it feels good, do it. That's what people say. Or if I'm having a bad day, I'm going to maybe have a stiff drink or I'm going to eat it away. And You see what's happening in both of those cases. You're being owned by your emotions. They're taking you on a journey. I've heard it described like riding on a train. A lot of times people put their emotions at the engine. And that's what drives a person's life. But if you're a Christ follower, you know that you should never be driven by your emotions. You should be driven by the Lord Jesus Christ. And so your emotions shouldn't be at the engine. They should in some ways be a part of the caboose. I'll talk about that concept a little bit uh, later into this message, but uh, really, let me be clear right up front. Emotions aren't bad. Our God is loaded with emotion. We see God filled with delight. We see God filled with sorrow and disappointment. Sometimes we see God filled with anger and real frustration. We see God, of course, filled with tenderness, mercy, joy, all sorts of emotion to think through emotion, it's not the main ingredient of your life. It's the spice of life. It adds flavor to your life. It shouldn't drive your life. That's why we say you've got to own what you're feeling. Once you've named it, you can own it. You see, I'll say very clearly as a pastor, any time I've worked with someone in a personal crisis, and I'm really cautious to say the word always or never. In this case, I'll say it always when someone comes to me in a personal crisis it always goes back to an emotion that owned them i was sad so i started drinking or doing those drugs i was jealous so i gossiped and it ruined my reputation and i lost my job i i was lonely so i started to flirt i was happy so i ignored the consequences I was filled with hatred, so I retaliated. It always goes back to your emotions. If you don't own them, they will own you. So the question is, how do we do this? How do we own our emotions? Well, I'm going to take us further into the story of David. If you didn't hear last week's message, I would encourage you to go back and listen to it because this continues his story. We're going to move further into him running for his life. This is about two years later, but it's only really a couple of chapters later. And what we saw last week was David was fearful. Saul was trying to kill him and he ran for his life. So he was loaded with all of this fear, but he didn't name it right away and it got him into a lot of trouble and to the point where it actually caused the death of an entire city of Nob. But he eventually named it and he wrote journals of psalm entries and we saw him just really identify and name what was going on inside of him. Today I want to take you two years later into a story where we see him own his emotions. But he gets a little messed up in the process. And let me take you into that. Because the truth is, day by day by day, your emotions can cycle back around. One of the scariest verses in scripture for me is what we talked about the first week when the pastors got into around Luke 4 where Jesus was tempted in the wilderness. Well, verse 14 of Luke says it this way. When the devil finished tempting Jesus. He waited for him until an opportune time. You see, the enemy is patient with us, and when the cycle of emotion circles back again and again, he's willing to patiently wait to find that crink, that problem, that crack in our armor, and then he strikes. And so we have to always be on guard to say, I need to name what's going on, and then I need to own it. Uh, let me take you into how David, in some ways, this time after time was going day after day. He's hiding from Saul in the wilderness, going into First Samuel 27. Again, just a couple of years later, picture him hiding out in the caves, dealing with his emotions in different ways. Look at how it's worded, verse 1. David thought to himself, One of these days I will be destroyed by the hand of Saul. The best thing I can do is escape to the land of the Philistines. Then Saul will stop searching for me anywhere in Israel. And I will slip out of his hand. So, did you just see what David did? (laughs) He, He, again, filled with fear, not naming what he's feeling. Again, that opportune time, that cycle coming around day by day. We get worn out by our emotions. He finally says, I can't keep hiding day after day. And so, he comes up with a plan. I'm going to join the enemy's camp. David, what are you doing? Do you realize what you're doing? Uh, That would be like one of us joining the Patriots or joining the Miami Dolphins. You don't do that. You don't give them your playbook. That's really what David did. For the next 16 months, David is hanging out with the enemy of Israel and giving them in some ways the playbook of how Israel thinks and building relationship. And watch how the king of this enemy, Achish, watch how he words this. Achish trusted David, this is verse 12, and said to himself, David has become abhorrent to his people, the Israelites, he will be my servant for life. I know it's easy to cast stones at David and say, wow, this cycle of him falling into the trap, again? He just wrote beautiful psalms. He saw the glory of God. He saw miracle after miracle as he's been hiding from Saul in these different points. And now he's joining the enemy's camp? What's going on? Again, life is long. Quarantine wears people out. Stay-at-home orders? they're painful. And this is what he's feeling. And this is what we feel. And so David made the decision to join the enemy's camp. And I dare say, how do we do any different? When you run to some food for comfort, you run to some binge for comfort, you run to gossip or you run to the internet, some kind of uh, porn addiction because it just feels good, do it. The emotions run rampant. Or you do Facebook following and you're stalking everybody and you're just, have you ever just stopped to think, is it possible that we do the same thing David did? We grab on to just something else and that becomes a false refuge. That becomes a false God. And we think it's going to bring us comfort. But again, that's putting your emotion at the engine of your life and it's driving your life. But if you let emotion drive your life, you're gonna go off the tracks eventually. And that's what happens here with David. And he's with the enemy. And as he's working through with the enemy, you have this real sense of, I'm exhausted, I'm stressed, I can't take this pain and pressure, and well, for 16 months, he's holding hands with his enemy. Well, his enemy, Achish, actually gives him some power and gives him authority, and he actually gives him a a city, a group of people, 600 men to lead and care for, and he has this location where they base down like a base camp in Ziklag. One day of these 16 months, David is going out with his men, and they go into battle, And they come back home. And listen to what happens as we move forward in the story. This is 1 Samuel 30, verse 3. When David and his men came home to Ziklag, they found it destroyed by fire, and their wives and sons and daughters were taken captive. Imagine the emotion I don't know if you've ever had a thief break into your house or you've had something stolen, but it's a pure violation. And imagine your family members taken captive. Imagine the emotion. Add this emotion on top of it. A couple of verses later in verse 6 of 1 Samuel 30, David was greatly distressed because the men were talking of stoning him literally throwing rocks on him to kill him. Each one was bitter in spirit because of their sons and daughters. So David not only has the emotion of watching and knowing that his loved ones are taken captive, but he has the emotion now of knowing his life is on the line from these people who are supposed to be his allies and at least confidants or maybe not friends, but colleagues. And they're looking to destroy him. The emotion has got to be all over the place. Now think of who David is. David is a warrior. He has got all this power inside of him. He's got all of this uh, adrenaline surging through through his bloodstream. What does he do? Well, you would think a warrior, what they would do is they would go get him. And you would fight. It would be like fight or flight. And he would take off and he would go get his family back. And he would kill all of the enemy. But David didn't do that. David probably thinking through how this journey has gone for his life so far. I wonder if he named it. Because he, he's been ambushed again by heavy consequence and extreme emotion. And I wonder if he just names it. And in that moment I know he starts to own it. Let me show you why I say that. The very next verse uh, here we have uh, in verse, um, 1 Samuel 30 verse 4. So David and his men wept aloud until they had no strength left to weep. So David should have just taken off running and saying, I'm going to go get the enemy. But instead he owned what was going on inside of him. And he wept and he wept and he wept until he had no more strength to weep. I have a good friend, uh, Dr. Roger Ross, who's uh, been writing a book called Comeback, and he gave me the privilege of writing an endorsement for his book, so I was able to read it over this past week. And in there, he talks about the way people handle emotions in their own life when they're trying to make a comeback and, and recover through times of great stress. And, and he talks about really three things that people do with emotions. They either run from them, or they hide, you know, conceal, don't feel, or they, they run with them, and they say, if it feels good, do it. Now, that's what David should have done. He's, to run with it would be like, I'm angry. I'm going to go destroy the enemy. Or, you can do this. You can listen to them. You can listen to what's going on inside of you. Remember what I said earlier about the engine or the caboose. When your emotions are in the engine, you're going to just, in fight or flight mode, you're going to just run, and you're going to make s- stupid decisions. And you're going to get yourself into so much trouble. But when your emotions are not driving your life, but they're still a part of your life, like the spice of life, they're going to yell at you and say, feel this. Own me. Instead of them owning you and driving you. And so I believe that's what David did. He just wept. He let his emotions speak to him. And he got all of that adrenaline, if you will, out of his system to be able to think clearly, to breathe well, to process what was really going on. They wept until they had no strength left to weep. And I believe that's exactly what God is calling us to do because watch what happens moving ahead to verse six. But David now strengthens himself in the Lord. He strengthens himself in the Lord As I started to talk about last week, he wrote many psalms, a couple of psalms, and you'll see in the devotional reading that we have for you this week, there's different psalms like Psalm 7 and 52 and 57 and Psalm 63 and 142. I could go on and on, but these are during this time period, during all of these wilderness wanderings where all this adrenaline, as you read them, you start realizing over and over and over again, David gets ambushed by his emotions and then he stops maybe makes some foolish mistakes along the way, then he names them. Then he owns them. And we watch him say he strengthens himself in the Lord. And listen to what happens next, verse 7, the very next verse. Then David said to Abiathar, which is the son of Ahimelech, who died at the hands of David's lie last week that we read about. So he's still with Ebiathar. And he says to him, who's now in his father's footsteps, of, in ways, being a priest, bring me the ephod. Ebiathar brought it to David, and David inquired of the Lord, shall I pursue this raiding party? So David now goes before the Lord. He strengthens himself in the Lord, and he grabs an ephod, an ephod is like a prayer shawl, if you will. It's a vest that priests would wear to inquire of the Lord. It's a set-apart kind of garment. And he's just saying, God, I need to hear from you because I'm not thinking straight. My emotion's all over the board. He releases it. He owns it. He, he's named it. Now he's owning it. And he's wrestling with it. And he's taking control of his emotions and listening to what they have to say to him. And he realizes, I need to listen to what God says. He hears God's voice. God speaks to him and says, Go, and you will be able to overtake your enemy. And and that's what happens. He overtakes the enemy and he brings his family back. At this point, actually, is when it starts the process of David becoming king. He becomes king of Judah and then seven years later, king over all of Israel. It's an incredible story. I'm convinced that David, by owning his emotions literally moves into the destiny of what God was moving him toward. What an incredible story. Now I know what you may be thinking. Okay, this sounds so much like last week's sermon. I could do this probably 12, 13, 14 more times preaching the exact same kind of sermon, looking at all the different stories of David and frankly, many, many different people in scripture. Because this is the cycle of humanity. And yet, David, even when he fell, got back up in the strength of the Lord, he owned what was going on, many times repenting of his sin, many times confessing what was going on, and then being re-strengthened by the Lord. And here we are, 3,000 years later, still talking about this one solitary life, this same life that is the bloodline of Jesus Christ. An incredible story of a real human being filled with all sorts of varied emotions in life. But as he owned them, the Lord strengthened him and took him to places only the Lord can take us. In fact, I want to show you what happens when you get strengthened in the Lord. I would dare say if somebody asked me, what is the one chapter you love, love, love and need to have in in your life? Out of all the scriptures, my favorite chapter is Romans chapter 8. And I want to show you the strengthening of the Lord and what it means to be filled with the sheer power of God. This is what's happening when you own your emotions, when you get strengthened in the Lord and say, Lord, I'm not going to let my emotions own me. I'm going to come before you and you help me be taught by what's going on in them. Tell me, Lord, what to do. In Romans 8, it talks about how all creation is emotional, all creation is groaning, longing for more. And that's why there's earthquakes. That's why there's death. We're nervous about the, what's the COVID death rate. Well, there's a bigger death rate of disease that we have in this world. It's called sin. And that death rate is 100%. So we better take very seriously what God is teaching and coaching us around a fallen world that we're in. We're going to be filled with emotion and struggle the rest of our lives. And that's how the world feels. It's groaning. But watch this. Romans 8, 26. In the same way, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. In the same way that the world is groaning, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. We do not know what we ought to pray for, but the Spirit himself intercedes, prays for us through wordless groans. Groans. And he who searches our hearts knows the mind of the Spirit because the Spirit intercedes for God's people in accordance with the will of God. Do you understand what I just read? Really, do you you get the depth of what I just read? When you don't even know how to pray... When you don't even know what's happening, because you've let your emotions become the engine of your life, and you're off the tracks, and you don't know how to what end is up or down in life right now, it says the Spirit, the Holy Spirit of God, the same spirit that was the power of Jesus Christ, who raised Jesus from the dead, lives in you and speaks words of life praying on your behalf, groaning. That word groaning actually shows up two other times in the Old Testament. We have a Septuagint, which is the Greek form of the Hebrew writings. It shows up, that same word used there in, in Romans shows up only other two other times. One, when Jeremiah is in quarantine, exile, when he has his own virus, if you will, chasing him called Babylon. And secondly, it's David. Writing in reflection of his life in Psalm 30, when he reflects on everything and says, there are times I was so filled with pain, such groaning. How was he able to get out of those times of grief? He was strengthened in the Lord. The same Holy Spirit who is groaning on our behalf filling us, who knows the mind of the spirit of our beautiful eternal God, giving us perspective and guidance so that our God is our engine and strength. Do you understand how beautiful that is? That's why I love so much the concept of owning it by releasing it over to the Lord, saying, God, this is your, you tell me that you will take my burdens from me And so he does. That's what it means to rest in the Lord. That's why I love in the very creation story, it says it was evening and morning the first day. Evening and morning the second day. Every day that's created in Genesis 1 is a concept of God starting us with rest in him. It's evening and then morning. That's how a day begins. A day begins resting in the Lord because when you rest in the Lord, the Lord groans on your behalf. The Lord feels the emotion you feel, but the Lord then fills you with wisdom. That's what it means to go in the power and the strength of the Lord. That's why we're still talking about David. Yes, he's in the scriptures, of course, but God used him in such a mighty way because he was strengthened in the same spirit we can be strengthened in. Do you understand the beauty of that? It's a cleansing. I know over the last few messages that I've shared, I've been sharing about our personal journey with my father-in-law who was uh, alone and then put into hospice and this past week passed away and the tears have been real and the anguish and the groaning has been so real. But God's so good. And so thank you for your prayers and support in all of this. It's been a heavy cloud. Additionally, a story I haven't been able to share with you is the, the death of Pastor Paul Markell. 63 years ago, God gave him a vision to start a little church in Hamburg, a Wesleyan church. And here we are all these years later, because God used one man to start a group Bible study that starts a church that builds with all these incredible saints that have worked with us in ministry all these years. As Pastor Paul passed away, I had the privilege of praying with him right at the end of his life, just before he passed away. It was a holy and sacred moment. And frankly, I could feel the groaning of the Spirit of God, and yet I could feel the celebration of God. So this has been a time loaded with emotion. A God, who grieves with us, intercedes for us, and fills us with wisdom and strength. And I've been feeling it. And I hope you are as well. Because the emotions go all over the board. Now they're talking about the potential of all summer long being socially distanced. I have a pastor friend in Arizona I was talking to who literally doesn't believe we're going to be gathered again until after Christmas. And I was like, I can't take it. And I had to name my emotions right then and the frustration. And then I had to own it and say, wait a minute, he's not God. He doesn't know for sure. I don't know for sure. But I know who's got us. It's the same spirit of God who groans and prays and feels this emotion and will give us strength and stability. And so I was thinking, how do I even make, I can't even make it through the grocery store with this mask on. I can't breathe. I'm like, I've been coached in life. You can't, you got to breathe out carbon dioxide. And now here I have it breathing back in my breath. And it's like, wow, this is too much. And then every time I'm in the store, which is rare, just so you know, I, I still feel this judgment from people. And the first time I went in without a mask, I was like, whoa, I'm a sinner. I know. And so the next time I wear a mask and then I saw somebody not wearing a mask and I was like, that's sinner as well. And so the emotions are all. over the board. And it's just so weird. And I'm like, I don't want to do this month after month. I don't want to keep going through all of this. And, and I just know people are sticking their tongue out at me when they're behind the mask because you can't see a thing. So it's just so weird, but it's part of the real journey of life. And so I don't know where it is, the deepest depths of of darkness and sadness and and grief or just these weird emotions that can capture you. And I have these emotions over friends of mine who are doctors, who are in hospitals and they're afraid to bring the the virus back home to their families and the, the complexity of it all, it's just all over the board. So let's name them. Let's own them. And here's what happens. We get strengthened again today and again tomorrow. And the same cycle we see David go through, cycle after cycle, is going to be one where we get more victory this time and more victory next time and more victory the next time because we're walking in the Spirit of God filled with his integrity, his strength, and his assurance that it's going to be all right. So I want to pray with you right now. And again, if you haven't met the Lord Jesus Christ, he's the only one who can fill you with assurance and stability during this time. I invite you to invite him into your life, to then release your life to him. That's what it means to be a Christian, to die to self and let Jesus own you. So then he'll teach you how to own your emotions. Let's pray together. Lord, I pray for anyone who yet does not know you. And I pray that they are filled right now with your amazing grace. I pray that they have the courage to ask for forgiveness of sin and to release their life to you the author and perfecter of our faith, the one who has created us from the beginning and you hold all things together, Lord. When things seem like they're crumbling, you still hold us together. And I pray for all of us that are walking with you already just for the emotional journey, that we will walk in strength, we'll walk in your stability, walk in your confidence. I am so thankful, Lord, for our church family and the strength that I get from them and the the encouragement and the fact that we can do life together in a very complicated way right now. It's real, though. And so I thank you for the gift of ministry and the gift of life together and the gift that we've got in you who is our rock and our redeemer, our strength and the rock upon which we stand. Thank you, Jesus, for your gift. In your name we pray. Amen.